0: Hey, thank you for for joining us this morning. Thank you for being a a part of of this family. Thank you for for being a part of today. Uh, Whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, we are glad that you are here and we hope that you are growing in the sense that you're feeling it at home in this place. Now this morning as, as you came in, one of my hopes is that you were able to kind of come in between rain showers. Because if, if you were outside at all yesterday or, or tried to get outside, it was, it was like running the gauntlet, right? Like knowing when it was going to rain and when it wasn't going to rain. I tried to rake leaves. I tried to go for a walk and both times got caught in, in the rain. And, and what this time of year, like the word that comes to mind is, is saturation, right? Like, like, like saturation just being completely saturated. That's what's happening to my lawn. That's what's happening to all of our soccer fields. That's what's happening. That's what happened to my shoes yesterday. It's just this, this saturation. And the reason I bring that up is because that's part of our hope. And when we decided to, to spend a, over a year in the book of John, we wanted to, to saturate ourselves in the story of Jesus. I don't know if, if you've ever saturated yourself in something. And that I mean, I don't mean like something weird like Jello or something, but <laughs> but but more like like a hobby or an activity, uh, something you wanted to learn, an issue, a current event, maybe even a, a relationship. I, have you ever just saturated yourself in something? Uh, for me, last summer it was pickleball. Like I just, it was the kind of thing that I'm always just was thinking about it, like learning about it, watching it dreaming going and just trying to fill empty gaps of time with with pickleball and and so I don't know if you've I know that sounds stupid but but I but maybe you've done something similar where you just started to just your mind just couldn't stop thinking about something again that's that's our hope not that you would find something else to saturate yourself in but we would saturate ourselves in the story of Jesus because the story of Jesus is it's the gospel right it's it's the the story of God's rescue plan where he bring where he brings us the anointed messiah the saving king and so we are going to be like i said saturating ourselves in the story of Jesus over this next year and that's where we're going to continue today as we look at this story but before we jump into the, today's passage i think it's important for us to actually step back for a moment and just review what we talked about Yes, last week. Because if you've read, been reading through John, you'll notice that for John, details matter. And, and the, the order of things, it matters. Like he's very intentional in the way that he was recording the story of Jesus, in the way that he recorded the gospel of Jesus. He was so intentional. And so if you were with us last week, you know that we, we looked at the end of John chapter 3, where there's just kind of this weird moment where the story becomes not about Jesus for a bit. It actually becomes about John the Baptist because John tells us that, that Jesus is out in the countryside with his disciples and they're baptizing. And then all of a sudden, John's disciples see that and they see that Jesus is baptizing more than them. And they kind of begin to resent Jesus. So They go to John and say, did you see what he's doing? And, and John is like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of like his best man in a sense, right? He like gives them this analogy. I'm, I'm like the best man, and I'm all for what's going on. And the only way for this to continue to go on and for it to actually increase is for, is for him to, to increase, for him to become greater, and for me to decrease. And then there's this weird last paragraph, if you weren't here with us, that, that is un, a little bit unknown who the author is. Maybe it was John the Baptist, and maybe it was John the, the Evangelist, the one who wrote this gospel. But in it, he talks about how, like, the one that is from above speaks of what is above, and the one that is on the earth speaks of what is on the earth. And then at the end of it, he says, and those who believe the Son will have life eternal. And those who reject the Son, they will not see life because of the wrath of God will remain upon them. And we talked about how that, the key word in that whole section was was believe. And we believe, when we talk about this believe as it's used in that, in that verse, it's, it's this blend of, of faith and trust in Jesus, in accepting the truth about Jesus, in this confident hope that we would have in Jesus. And then we talked last week about it, it's, it's also about fidelity, this deep-rooted commitment to Jesus. And it was all about this idea of, of belief, and what we'll see as we move through the rest of, of John's gospel, and as we continue to actually follow Jesus ourselves, we'll see that, that believing Jesus, it actually frees us up to become like Jesus. It, it's believing and, and then becoming And that's why we're actually in this moment, we saw that John transitioned from the idea of of come and see, which was a repeated phrase in the first three chapters, to now come and believe, to come and put your hope and trust, to come and have confident hope, to come and accept the truth of it, and to make a deep commitment to. And then as we see, it'll also be about becoming, that believing leads to and sets us free to become like Jesus. So this morning, now to the passage that we're on this week, it's found in John chapter 4 and we're going to look at the first half of a story there and if you haven't been with us for much of this series, one of the things that we've been trying to do is is to to stand in in reverence as we read from the word of God. So I invite you to stand with me as we read from John chapter 4 starting in verse 1. The words will be up on the screen if you want to follow along, otherwise you could read from your own Bible and I will read from mine starting in verse one. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to get food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go back, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Now, if you were paying attention or if you looked ahead in your Bible, you see that this is just the first half of, of this story where Jesus has this interaction with the, the Samaritan woman at the well, and we're going to get into the next half next week. But if you've been following along or if you've read the Gospel of John before or if you've been reading ahead, you know that, that Jesus is se- seemingly always on the move. He's always going somewhere. He's always doing something, talking to people. And this pattern will continue as we go through John. And we actually see it a little bit more in in some of the other gospels. But John is deliberate in his writing because the details matter. He talks about where Jesus was, where he was going, what time he left, how many days he had been there. He's giving us all of these details, all of these things that, that are important. And what he tells us here is that, that because the Pharisees were kind of getting upset about him, he decided, okay, it's time for me to leave Judea. He was near Jerusalem at the time, and I'm going to head to Galilee. Now, just for a point of reference, I've asked to put a, a map up here, and you can see Judea is down on the bottom, and you can see Galilee is up at the top, and, and you can even see Jerusalem down here if, if your eyes are doing okay. And then Samaria is, is just dead center right in the middle. Now, John, he points out in this passage, he says, Now he, Jesus, he had to go through Samaria. Now, Jesus has done this trip this journey a, a number of times it's it's like for him it was probably like going home for for thanksgiving right you just know the way to your parents house you just know how to get there you know how long it's going to take this was a trip that jesus had done a number of times and and we'll do again as we, as we follow him along in this journey but john points out that he decided he had to go through samaria and john doesn't just put details in for no purpose he was pointing something out he was making sure that we saw that I think the question for us is is why like why did Jesus have to go through Samaria and what what did he what did he mean by did he that he had to was this the Holy Spirit was telling Jesus you need to go through there was this God's will for Jesus we saw that when Jesus went out into the wilderness the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness or was it just simply the most efficient route from Judea to Galilee? Was it just the, the straight shot? So it got me thinking. It got me wondering. So I got on the Google machine, right? And I, and I typed in the, the map for, for like this area. So you see again Jerusalem and, and Nazareth is up on top. That's kind of in the, the Galilean area. Cana is, is up in that area as well. And, and Samaria is is right in the middle. So I, I asked Google, I said, so what, what's the fastest or how do I get from Jerusalem to, I said Cana, like up, in, up into Galilee. And here's what, it said, it said, head left. And it said, it's going to only take an hour and 40 minutes. And I was like, okay, that's great. But what we know about Google, right, when we type in our directions, it's going to give us an option. Because we like choices. We want to make our own decisions. We want to pick the best route for us. Let me give you an example of this. Like, if, whenever someone asks me to, to take them to the airport, I, I check to see, like, what's the best route. I ask Google, and usually it says, you know, take I-5, and then out on 84, and you'll get there the fastest. But we all know that you could also go out 205, and if you go out 205, you're going to run across somebody, Chick-fil-A. I mean, it's like, it's right there off of 205. It's, thank you, Natasha. But and so, and so, I mean, I know which route I'm going to go. I, I'm, I'm going to choose that route. In fact, I offer to drive people to the airport, because I know, it's unless it's Sunday, then I'm like, you're on your own, but because you just... We like choices. And so I, I, Google gave us another option, and it was go to the right. And go, go to the right. And, and neither one of them sent us down the middle. And, and, I, was, and I thought to myself, well, why, was, why did it do that? And I thought, I looked at I was like, oh, it's, these are driving directions. And so, I mean, Jesus, I, in case you didn't know this, Jesus didn't have a car, right? I <laughs> want to make that clear at this point. And so I typed in, like, I clicked on the walking directions, and there it goes straight through, like, where Samaria would be. Samaria's right dead center, if you remember where it was earlier. And the walking directions would have been a straight line up through Samaria from Judea to Galilee. And, and the question for me at that point was like, so why, why did they give the driving routes all the way around Samaria? Why did they go around, like, that, all that area? And, and the reason was because here's the terrain. Like, it's just all, I mean, you could probably drive it, but you don't want to, right? And so it, it, this was the, the, the best way to, to walk. Because then I, I looked for another walking option. And this is the, the last picture. And here was the last walking option. was to kind of go out towards the Jordan River. Follow along up the Jordan River. But it added at least six hours. Likely a, a two days. It was what it would add to that walk. It's probably a, a two to three day walk straight up through Samaria. It's probably a, a four to six day walk. If you went around. And here's the, and here's the thing. Is that the Jewish people... Like they knew they had some options. Like Jewish people, when they would travel from Jerusalem to Cana, from, from Judea to Galilee, they knew that they had options. They knew that they could go straight through Samaria, but they also knew that they were going to have to deal with Samaritans. They knew it was going to be a, maybe a more difficult terrain. And maybe the, the weather would be a little bit different, but most of they knew that they'd have to deal with Samaritans. And so they knew their other option was to head over to the Jordan River and to take the longer way, likely days longer, but they wouldn't have to deal with, with the Samaritans. And the average Jewish person would choose to go around and to avoid Samaria. They would choose the, the longer route in order to avoid Samaria, but more, maybe more importantly, in order to avoid Samaritans. And the question maybe for us is, is, is why? Like why would, would they choose to, to do that? And, and to, to understand it completely, you'd have to go back and, and read in, in the Old Testament and see where the Samaritans actually were, actually a part of like Israel, but they kind of got returned. It's, it's a long story and I don't have time to, to necessarily get into it right now, but, but here's what we know. Is that there is there was tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. There was animosity. There was likely like judgment or or resentment towards one another. There had been conflict. There had been disagreement. There had been disputes. There had likely been fighting. And for the Jewish people, the Samaritans were people to be avoided. People to to go around. And so they did they had the option so they took the long way so that they could not just avoid a harder more difficult hike but a people and here's the thing is we need to remember that Jesus was Jewish right so Jesus knew his options Jesus knew that he could go straight through samaria or he could go around by the jordan river and what we see here even though it's unclear to us that Jesus it's un- unclear to us why Jesus decided that he, Jesus had to go through Samaria. What is clear is that he chose not to avoid it. He chose not to avoid the Samaritans. Now, all right, so I hate to admit this, but I know I'm not alone in it. But here, this story, like this part of the story, it reminds me of, of an experience that I have. I feel like it's more often than, I, than it should, but that I have at, at places like Target, or Fred Meyer, or any public place where I walk in and I see somebody at a distance that I, that I would much rather avoid, right? Somebody who I've either had a hard time in life with, someone who I have hurt or they have hurt me, someone who, who I just know, I, I disagree with, or I just don't... what whatever. You, you fill in the blank for why you might avoid that person. But I see them, and, and, I, and we all know the standard practices for that, right? Like you're in, you got the grocery cart, you just do 180, you head down the other way, like like I forgot something. Or you can stop and, and just stare at the cereal box, like you're checking out if there's not as much sugar in it as you thought that there was, but you know that there is. So you can just stare at that. Or you just, you know, I just sometimes like, I mean, I honestly, I did this at Costco just the other day, and it that's too much to tell you about. But I just put my head down. I just, I just wait until it was my line. And so I just put my head down because I didn't want to have to deal with whatever. Or the classic is, you know, I'll just grab my phone. Right? I'll you know, just pretend like I'm texting somebody. Or I'll maybe even actually text somebody. But all in the hopes of avoiding somebody. All because I'd, I'd much rather avoid this person in this setting and in this situation. And maybe I'm not alone in that practice. Maybe you've you've done that as well. And this is this is kind of a you know an amusing or, or funny example of, of how that that looks for us. But the reality is is it's probably more um, we probably do this more often than than we'd like to admit. But Jesus, he didn't avoid. The Samaritans. He didn't choose another option. He decided to go through instead. He didn't ignore them. He didn't go around them. Instead, what we see, even if we put that Google map back up, he went straight towards them. He walked straight into their home territory, right into their land, into their cities, right into their, their wells, right? He, just, he decided to go straight through Samaria Because here's the thing that we know about Jesus. And and again, Jesus is Jesus. And our goal is, is to not only believe him, to become like him. But Jesus didn't avoid people. Jesus didn't avoid people based on their social status. He didn't avoid people based on their health or their wealth or their nationality. He didn't avoid people based on their religion, their politics, or their behavior. Instead, he moved towards them especially those who were on the margin especially those who would already have been rejected especially those who people already had a tendency to avoid jesus would move toward them he would move towards their territory he'd move towards their turf he'd move towards their place and space he'd move he'd move towards them and here's here's the thing is that Jesus goes where his presence and where his kingdom and where his love is, is needed the most. Like, those were the places, and, and when we read, as we continue in this story, we'll see it. Like, those are the places that he was leading his disciples into, right? As they're following Jesus, these are the places that he was leading them them into. And honestly, like, this is, this is for me. This, I think this is for us as as. Christians and as, as followers of Jesus that sometimes it feels like, like the, pl- the places and the people and the issues that we tend to avoid are the places and the people and the issues that need the presence of Jesus, that need the kingdom of God, that need the love of Jesus the most. Those are the ones that we, that are maybe the hardest for us to enter into. Because I could come up with a whole list of them. Right of of these people, places, or issues that that we would much rather just avoid because it's easier, right? Because we're maybe we we we're afraid in some way. We we don't. we're, We're maybe we're critical of other people. Maybe it's like the like the Samaritans. We just these are people we don't agree with. We don't. The list could be long on on that, but those are the places often. That Jesus' presence and his kingdom and his love are needed the most. And so, why did Jesus go through Samaria? I mean, why did he decide? I mean, it said he had to go, and I don't believe it was because it was the fastest route. I believe that Jesus went through Samaria because he knew like, that these are people. These are our people created in the image of God. These are people to be honored. These are people who deserve dignity and compassion and care. We talk about it here that we want to be people that honor the Imago Dei, that honor the image of God in others. And and Jesus saw the image of God in these people. They weren't people to be avoided. They weren't people to just go around. These were people to be loved. And the only way for Jesus to love this people that were despised by his own people was to move straight towards them was to move into their territory to get onto their turf and then to bring his presence bring love bring truth bring the holy spirit all of these things these were people that that needed his loving presence in his kingdom his gospel and so this is that's just one verse in this whole passage right that that Jesus had to go to Samaria so we're going to be here for three and a half hours because I'm just kidding Because here as we watch the rest of this story play out, Jesus goes and and enters into Samaria, right? He ends up at very tired and and thirsty, understandably so. We saw the terrain. We saw how long the hike was going to be. And so he stops at a well. And he stops at a place to rest, a place where he could get a drink. And it says it was at noon, Right? In the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, a, a time of day when people wouldn't typically be going to the well to fill up water. But as he's there, a woman arrives Right, and he has this, this conversation with this woman. And what we see at, at, at this point in both the story but in the gospel and really in all the gospels, here is probably most likely the longest recorded conversation that we see Jesus have with anybody. Like, we could probably go back and figure out a number of words, but this is likely the longest recorded conversation that Jesus had with anyone, and it wasn't with his disciples. It wasn't with a, another rabbi. It wasn't with a Pharisee. It wasn't with a Roman official. Jesus' longest recorded conversation was with a Samaritan, someone who was despised, considered unclean, and disliked by all the guys that were, and gals that were around him. And this is who Jesus had the longest conversation with not only was it a samaritan but it was a samaritan woman and not only was it a samaritan woman but likely a woman of who just didn't have the best character which we could get into all of that but just the fact that she was there at noon when no one else would have been that Jesus actually asked her some questions about her husband husbands right and we just learned a little bit a, a little bit about her but this would have been shocking this would have been shocking to the people that would have who could have seen this But what I thought was most amazing in all of this was what Jesus actually said to this woman. I mean, just listen to some of the things he said. He said, I have the gift of God, and he calls it living water. I mean, here's a person, this woman who was coming because she needed water. She needed life, right? Like water is life. And Jesus says, I have The gift of God, I have living water. And this living water, when it's taken in, when it is received and accepted and utilized for what it was intended to be, it will become a spring of water. And he said that that spring of water, it will actually well up. It will pool up. It will become like a, a vat, a, a well, a, a container filled with eternal life, which we know, like we've talked about this before, that's not just heaven, right? That eternal life, is, it's a new life. It's new creation. It's new life that starts right now and carries on into eternity. Because for her, she probably wasn't so worried about eternal life. She needed refreshment. She needed living water. She needed hope right now now and Jesus said I got, this is what I have for you and it will well up inside of you for eter- to eternal life and then he says because he's bringing good news to her right he says go and, go and get your family go, go get your husband and, and bring him back this is, this is I, th- I believe he was telling just wanting her to, to spread the news and, and then the, the whole thing about how many husbands and all that stuff but they don't spend much time on that Like Jesus wasn't just gonna call out behavior because he had a bigger purpose in mind. He says to her, he tells her the truth in that moment, right? He's like, you don't, you're right when you say you don't have one husband, you have five and and he just speaks reality and he speaks truth but not condemnation, not attack, just truth, just reality, But then he moves on and he says a time is coming when access, basically I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he's saying a time is coming when access to God, it won't be limited to location and it won't be determined by your behavior. In fact he says a time has come when the life of God, like life with God, which is a life of of worship, is going to be found and grounded in spirit and in truth. Now For the most part, we understand what those two things mean. But let me just review it. Like in spirit, he's talking about in the presence of God. Like the spirit is the presence of God. Gordon Fee, a theologian, would describe the spirit this way. He'd say it's God's empowering presence. John Mark Comer would say it's the animating energy we draw on through our relationship with God. The spirit is the presence of God in us, around us, for us, and with us. And then in truth, we talked about this last week, that truth is those things that are in accordance with reality. It's the opposite of of, of illusion. We talked about how like, I know this table is true because I know it's real. And, And Jesus is real. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is that reality. Now, all of this didn't make a ton of sense to the Samaritan woman. And so she made kind of a weird statement. She just said, you know, the... Eventually, Messiah, the Christ, will come. And when the Christ comes, he's going to explain it all. So thanks, thanks, but no thanks. I'm just going to wait for the Messiah. And Jesus says the most significant thing in, in all of what he says. He says, the one that you are talking about, the one you're speaking of, the Messiah, I am he. And why it's so important is because as the Messiah, as the anointed king, as the saving king, Jesus embodied... And offered both spirit and truth. Like Jesus was the embodiment of spirit and truth. And he offered both spirit, the presence of God, and truth. The reality of God in himself and in his, in his words. The relational presence of God and the truth and the reality of God. You see, Jesus, as the Messiah, he would be this the new temple. You notice how Jesus told Her. A day is coming when we won't worship on that mountain or this mountain. We won't worship in a temple because we will have a new temple. And I am he. I am the new temple. I am, going, I am the place where heaven and earth will intersect. I am the place where true worship will take place. And I am the, the one who true worshipers will, worshipers will come to. And so what's maybe so amazing for about all of this for me and hopefully for you too is, that, is actually I think it's the location. John points something out that it, it might have just seemed like a random detail but he says like they, this well was Jacob's well. Now Jacob, you, if you've read through the Old Testament maybe you can remember who Jacob was but, but just as a broadly understanding it like when we say in the Old Testament it says the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, right? So like we know like Jacob was important and this was his well. And what we know about Jacob was that he was an ancestor, right? He was like a great-grandson or a grandson of of Abraham. And we know that early on in Genesis, God makes this promise to Abraham. And maybe you remember it where he says, I'm going to send you out and I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations. Through you, all of the nations will be blessed, but we didn't get to necessarily see how that would play out because Abraham eventually died and and then that promise, that covenant was passed on in a sense to Isaac and Isaac didn't actually fulfill it all completely and then that promise was passed on to Jacob and Jacob doesn't fill that completely. But in this moment, as Jesus is meeting with a woman, a Samaritan woman at the well, we see just a glimpse of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham when he says, through you, all the nations will be blessed through you. You see, here Jesus is declaring the good news, his very presence, which is a, the blessing, the living water, new life, to a despised people, and eventually through a, what we would understand as a powerless person. And I think for me, as we just look at the first half of this story, and I hope for you as well, like this is a reminder for us. This is a reminder for us that Jesus is he is for all people. That his blessing, his living water, his new life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is for all people. Even those that we would find easy to avoid. Even though even those who would disagree with us in this moment, like Jesus brought this news brought this declaration that I am the Messiah. This is the first time that he says that, right? This is the first time that he reveals that. And he does it not to his own people, but to a despised people and to a powerless woman. And a reminder to us that, that we don't have it all figured out in this room, in this church. In, as followers of Jesus, we just don't have it all figured out. But if we would begin to, and we'll see this as we look at the rest of the story next week, if we begin to move into the territory of those that we would typically avoid if we would get on their turf and, and begin to engage with them in, in loving kindness and in the presence of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit like where we have living water and we'll talk about this more welling up and pouring out over us that would overflow onto the lives of those that we are coming in contact with. Like they, they are in need of, of this kind of refreshment, this kind of news, this kind of king and this kind of kingdom. So let me just close with a few questions. The first is this like like who are the Samaritans in our day? And you can just create your own list, people that, that you would rather avoid, people you think that we collectively try to avoid. Like in your own lives, who are the Samaritans? Do you have people that you avoid? Do you have places and spaces and issues and conversations and tensions that you tend to avoid because it's, it's easier and, it, and it's safer, it's less complicated, all, wh- whatever the reason might be? It's good for us to identify these things. Maybe these are like situations in, in your family or in your neighborhood or at your workplace. These aren't easy places. These aren't easy tensions. I'm not trying to look at this thing with, with rose-colored glasses, but these are places and spaces that we can move towards and bring the presence of Jesus into. And so how? How, can, how and where can we move towards them? Move into their land and onto their territory. And if you're not sure about the how, like I want to encourage you to go back and reread this whole story, like verse one to 40-something, to and just watch in your mind, watch and, and listen and learn from Jesus. And if you want a, a little bit of homework, go home and, and download the Chosen app. Watch the season finale from season one where where they retell this story. And you will it's a dramatization of it, right? But you'll get a picture of what it looks like. Would you stand with me as we just close in prayer and as the worship team comes up? <coughs> Father... We thank you that you sent your son to people that were broken and messed up, to people who were hard-hearted and stiff-necked, people that knew exactly what you wanted from them and yet struggled to do it. Lord, that's, that's us. Lord, you came and walked, you, you came in the flesh, Jesus, and you walked straight towards us you moved towards like in a sense our turf and you brought the love of god you brought living water lord and we we've experienced it and we're so grateful for it and if we haven't lord i just i pray that you would help us to to pursue you even more and to to experience your life-giving refreshment in our lives but lord would you help us to to not be people who would hold that to ourselves? Would you help us to not be people who would tend to avoid, but by your Holy Spirit, would you encourage and empower us to, people, to be people that follow you, Jesus, that follow you into the harder spaces and places, that follow you towards the harder people, the harder conversations, and the harder issues in life. Lord, we know that this will not be easy, that it won't be safe, but we also know that we won't walk into it alone. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask for your guidance. We ask for your wisdom. And Jesus, help us to continue to to learn from you, to listen to you as we seek to follow you together. Lord, by your grace, by your strength, by your power, and for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for for coming and and being a part of of today. But again, we're not limited to this morning or or to today and what we're called to be a part of as we leave this place, like we have again this unique opportunity not to, to leave the presence of Jesus because we know that worship doesn't isn't determined by location or by our, our behavior, but our worship is actually when we leave this this space and we take the presence of Jesus with us wherever we go. It's filled with the Holy Spirit, overflowing with living water. And so I pray that that you would lean into that, that you would move those opportunities and and know that you're not alone. You are strengthened and encouraged by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit but also that that we're praying for you and and we're all kind of walking this road together. So God bless you as you go. We can't wait to come back and, and continue this story next week. Have a great week.